That Shit Movie's Quite Good, a podcast where the presenter loves every crappy movie ever made. This podcast is hosted by Graham Crow. He knows a lot about movies and sport and not much about anything else. You'll find him laughing at his own dad jokes on a regular basis. And if you think Gossip Girl is a worthy shit movie, then you're definitely in the wrong place because it doesn't even rank. Watch out for little ears. This podcast can contain strong language and, depending on the movie, adult themes. It may also contain movie spoilers if you're the kind of person who doesn't line up at midnight to see the first session. You can listen in via the website or wherever semi-decent podcasts can be accessed. If there's show notes, which will only appear if the soccer isn't on, they will appear on the website at thatshitmoviesquitegood.com. If we had sponsors, we'd make a big deal of them right here, even throw some confetti. We do have to thank Bombora Digital for the website and Kevin McLeod for the intro music. You can find their links in our show notes. If you want to be one, get in touch. Now onto the shitty movies. Here's your host, Graham Crow. Hi, and welcome to That Shit Movie's Quite Good. I'm your movie-loving host, Graham Crow, and joining me today is my new co-host, uh, formerly guest host, uh, Uncle Phil. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. How do you, everyone? Uh, you looking forward to this, Phil? Oh, I love this movie. I have, came out in 1981. What's not to love? It's, um, I, I enjoy, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I did have a few issues with, uh, Things that we'll cover uh, cover during the during the discussion, but uh, not not to do with the story, but mainly to do with the uh, the, the special effects. But what the external oh, special man. effects? But we'll we, we'll, we'll, we we'll get into that. To... We'll get into that later. Because oh, we're going to come to blues on this one. But you go. You okay. anyway? Shall we start? Let's give it a crack. Okay, so when I asked Phil what film we should uh, do next, he suggested Outland, to which I replied, not that Jim Caviezel load of crap that about a man who crash lands his spaceship on Earth during Viking times. And then I realised, uh, that's Outlander. Um, so then I thought, oh, God, it's not about a woman who stands in stone hedges and does timey-wimey stuff and goes back to uh, 1700s uh, where kilts and things happen and there's lots of heated sex. And that was also Outlander. So I was a bit disappointed there. Um, and then I realised Phil, when Phil said Outlander, he meant Sean Connery, Jupiter, mining. And I'm like, oh, shit, a Western sci-fi. How awesome. It's like my two favourite genres, sci-fis and Westerns. And basically, I fell in love with sci-fi. My brother took me to the movies, the drive-ins when I was 10, uh, to see Alien. Believe it or not, he got me in. I was terrified for the next 20 odd years. Um, but also we grew up in the seventies and the eighties when they only had three channels and we didn't have uh, streaming services and the like. So the midday, the midday matinee was always like a favorite thing for us to watch um, on wet winter's days, things like the Alamo, the Magnificent Seven. Um, so when Peter Himes blended these two genres, I couldn't wait to have, uh, uh, having previously seen Capricorn One uh, to go and watch this film. Um, he's also done uh, 2010, uh, The Year We Make Contact, The Star Chamber, a number of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, um, it turns out, as well as uh, The Presidio and the Buddy Cop movie, Running Scared. So he's, um, he's, done, he's got quite a, quite a wide range of films that, we've, um, that, he's, uh, that he's done. Um, and this also marks uh, the beginning of a productive 80s and 90s for Sean Connery with Highlander, the Untouchables, The Rock, Rising Sun, and The Hunt for Red October. So load them up, smoke them if you've got them, and let's enjoy Outlander. So what did you think of this film, Phil? 
Well, I, look, I need to pull you up on one point. I, is that pornography is also an important genre as well. Uh, I, I just thought I'd say that because you said you had <laughs> you had only two favourite genres. Oh, well, oh look, it, you can't. Well, you know. Okay, well, there is that. You know. <laughs> but we're we're not reviewing Pornhub today. <laughs> Good point. So, what was your what was your very serious question again? Uh, what did you think of the film? Uh, I loved it. I, I watched it in, when it first came out, uh, you know, and it was, you know, a year or two after uh, when the original Star Trek, the motion picture came out, when the original Alien came out, which, you know, made me, for lack of a better word, shit my pants. And, um, and I really liked this film. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched. I haven't seen it for years. I, I, in fact, it's probably been, yeah, probably been a good thirty years since I've seen this film. So this was the, uh, almost like a new viewing for me. Um, and I, I did in, look. I did enjoy it. It was a really fun movie. Um, I like the whole gritty aesthetic to it. You know that whole, and they do it. Um, Ridley Scott does it in Alien with that. Um, you know that whole industrial look. Where sure. you know it's not it's not Star yeah. Trek you know it's not it's not Star Trek where they're all wearing wearing shiny outfits and flying pristine vacuum spaceships. It's it's like there's dirt. It's gritty. It's they they look like they're um you know doing the hard yards out on this far off mining colony. And it's uh, I, I quite like that aesthetic about it, which you know is one of the things that actually draws me to it. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's like watching a sci-fi movie that's based in a in a region with a thick accent. It just adds to that believability and that really industrial quality you get through all of the set pieces in in this movie, you know, and also Alien and and, and some really other classic sci-fi movies of the time. That you're you're lost in some of these new CGI wonders. Oh, absolutely, and and I think that you know, with with the CGI, you kind of lose that that realness at times with with how that how the movie feels when yeah. you're watching it. Yeah, yeah, the the believability. I, I I even thought the sound quality and you know the special effects so new at the time were great. Look, I look, I'm, I'm I I enjoyed I I like I enjoyed the whole um, the internal part of it. Um, there is a there is a part where he goes out and spacewalks, and probably at the time it was like state of the art, looked fabulous. Yeah. But watching it now, it's almost like watching a Jerry Anderson um, Thunderbirds type uh, puppetry motion type thing happening yeah. as as he makes his way across the outside of the spaceship or the space station. What? Getting a chance to watch this and sort of fall in love with it again, uh, and then learning about how they did that—I uh, th- I mean, this was the the first film where they actually managed to blend, you know, the foreground, the middle ground, the background together with that particular style of uh, filmmaking, and you know, to blend model making with and not using a blue screen, uh, and to to actually have people in those shots as well. This was brand new, never been done before. Well, I, th- I think if the, the external shots looked very much like um, if, I don't know if you've seen um, Silent Running with Bruce Stern about yeah. the, the spaceship with the, 
the last of the forests on it. Yes. Um, it's the external shots are very similar to that. I thought mm. in, mm. in that kind of that look and even, even the terrible uh, black hole. <laughs> the black. Oh yeah. It, it, the external shots are, are very, they're all very similar. It's all of that time. And so yep. you well, kind of get... you know, we ha- I think we have to be a bit forgiving, especially in the back. Oh, absolutely. But uh, so much to love. And, and, you know, the music score, the, the music score was, was done by the same person who did Alien mm. and uh, Star Trek, the original motion picture. And, uh, and that had a real spooky, ethereal quality to it that, you know, scared, that was quite scary for a, a kid. Oh yeah, well I re- I remember Alien. You know, my as I said in the opening, my brother got his license and decided to take me to the drive-in uh, on a rainy night, and uh, the the double feature was Hangar 18 and uh, Alien. So oh. I was, um, you know, there was a fair amount of brownness left behind in in my <laughs> terror. <laughs> Did he have to burn the car afterwards? It, it took it took years to walk up. It took years to walk up that long hall to go to the bathroom at night. Oh, I, I remember going to see um, <laughs> going to see the double feature of Alien. I don't even know the second movie, um, and I hid in the back seat and I hid under a blanket, and it was one of those really big weave blankets, and I could see straight through. And I remember saying to my dad, and my brother, "I can still see this," uh, and so that's left an indelible scar on my psyche. A bit of an Alien post traumatic stress disorder after seeing the movie when I was nine years old. Yeah, and th- I mean, I mean, this film was also um, very deeply steeped in the in the Western genre. Mm. Um, it is a, it is literally a Western in space, and you know, and there and and if you look at the internals um, in the uh, police in the marshal's office, he's actually got the swinging bar doors that he walks through to go in. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that, and you know, they're you know they're kind of from shoulder to hip high and as he walks through, he kind of pushes it. So it's like that whole, it, it is a Western for all intents and purposes. And it's a, it's just, it's a story that they've told um, many times in that kind of, in that genre of a, a marshal that comes to town to, to take over, to run the place. He's straight down the line. He, you know, he's not going to uh, take any corruption or be paid off or anything. And um, the people that are the people that are there's the dog, the people that are running the uh, <laughs> yeah no, the people that are running the the, the actual mine site are you know, paying off the police. Uh, there's uh, narcotics being spread throughout the space station, throughout the mining station, um, and he's there to basically put a stop to it. Yeah, and and he's he's the only person that's going to be doing that because no one's on his side basically no i think he's out out on his own all right shall we um shall we kick it off well uh, we can and um from memory i'll have to remind myself uh the opening is the it it is a cold opening of the space station it tells you um how many people are working there, uh, how many people are miners and support staff and others and what have you and then it goes down into the mine um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, actually, I really like this bit. Did you like that bit where they sort of discuss how, um, how, how, 
uh, I think it's called the League of Industrial Nations had sort of formed from memory. The League of Industrial Nations had, had outsourced resources on the known planets. And so they outsourced it to companies such as Con Amalgamate. And, and I right. think the mining colony is called Conam 27. Yeah. Cause you see, you see, um, uh, miners walking around with uh, t-shirts on that say 27 on it. And some of them actually have 20, 22. So they've obviously been to a different mining station and, and then come there to work as well. Oh, right. I, I didn't notice that. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about this. I quite like that, you know, the whole mining colony and I, after watching it the first time and having some experience working away in a, you know, in a mining environment, man, and, you know, it, it's interesting how they weren't mining uh, unobtainium or uh, vibranium or anything like that. No, it's like a normal, it's a, it's, it's a titanium. It's like a normal, it's, it's a normal titanium. ore, you know? Yeah. On, um, no. Uh, it's Io. Io, which is Io. a part of? Jupiter. Um, Jupiter, nice work. Mm. Um, with, and, you, and we find out it's, it's, it's got one sixth the gravity of? Of Earth, yeah. Earth. So, yeah, um, so you can jump pretty high, but. Mm. And uh, we go down into the mine and they're, they're drilling away and working. And then a miner um, has a psychotic episode um, and basically thinks he's being attacked by spiders, rips his spacesuit open and uh, uh, exposes himself to the atmosphere of Io, not that that's much, and basically explodes. Okay. Um, um, and that actor, I found out, are you ready? Is you go is uh, Cliff from Cheers, John Ratzenberger. Yeah, John Ratzenberger. He's been in all the Pixar movies. Oh, he's the believe. he's the pig in Toy Story. Yeah, he's Mac the truck. If if you don't know who John Rat, if you haven't heard John Ratzenberger's voice, you're not from Planet Earth. It's a it's a pretty unique sounding voice. Yeah. So he's the he's the he's the miner who. He, he only has a, he's only in it for what, five minutes max? Two or no, three, even no, two or no, three minutes probably. Not even probably. that. Not even yeah. that. They're enough to sort of have a psychotic episode. And, and I, I love that scene where there's two guys, two, two miners sort of working the hard face. And they're like, shut up, get back to work, stop mucking around, stop goofing off. Yeah, they don't, they don't actually think that anything's actually happening, do they? They, they just think he's being an idiot. And, uh, he just uh, explodes, which yeah, which is which isn't pretty. Uh, and there's a it's a bit of a myth. Your head doesn't explode in space. Well, I wouldn't have thought so, and and I would have just thought that he, without atmosphere, he would have just basically um, suffocated to death. Yeah, yeah. My fourteen-year-old pointed that out. He said, "Dad, that's a myth. <laughs> Your head doesn't explode." <laughs> Which, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, well, you know, the things you learn from a 14 year old. Absolutely. They're pretty, pretty clever, pretty clever. But you know, in space, they can't hear you scream either. So, you know, he did, I can't remember. Did he make a bit of a scream when he exploded? Yeah, he didn't sound happy. No, not at all. No. And so we move on from there. Um, and, uh, to, go, I think uh, we go to uh, the um, the happens on the O'Neill family. They're, uh, that's they're, right. That's the marshal. Yep. The, yeah, the he's been, I believe he's been there for two weeks. Uh, the, he, it's a new posting for the family. They've been mm. on, on site for two weeks. Yeah, but uh, um, 
judging from his wife's um uh the way that she is behaving um she's not very happy about being on another mining station because it seems like that's all they actually do they jump from mining station to mining station post to post that he's sent to because he's not very affable with um his superiors and so rather than getting an earth posting which she kind of desperately wants uh, they move him around to different mining uh, mining towns, basically. Yeah, so he like he's obviously a position in 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 the the I don't know the the police force. He's um he's, well, he's a he's a, in, a he's a space a marshal or something, I think, isn't he? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a cool title. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the boss. He gets to wear a tin star. Well. Does he get to wear it? No, he doesn't get to wear a tin star. He should, he should get to wear a tin star. Well, it's not vibranium, but it might be titanium. It probably can't, though, because it might rip the spacesuit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so clearly she's not happy, and, uh, and, and this is where you find out that um, uh, he has a phone call with, um, with his sergeant, and the sergeant in that phone call actually says, uh, to O'Neill, hey, uh, just let your wife know that uh, I've secured those tickets for you. And then he he asks his wife, uh, what were the tickets for? And she sort of fobs him off. That's right. And um, and he heads, I think he gets another call, doesn't he, at that point, and heads out um, with his shotgun uh, uh, to a... Um, to one of the brothels, essentially, that's on the that's on the... Oh, that's a bit early. Okay, you're getting the hand shaking. <laughs> Lead on. <laughs> oh, well, I, um, it, it, then we, um, it sort of, well, everything looks pretty happy and she should have, she sort of kisses him goodbye, but the kiss had a certain finality to it. And then, uh, and then, um, and then it sort of, the, it goes to another scene where you, the, the music changes. And did you like the score in this? It, I did. I thought the score was very good. And, but, his, his Peter Himes movies tend to be a little bit lower budget than um, than other movies of of that time. They're not as you know. They're more story driven than special effects driven, really. Um, yeah, and well, and, but- and his and the score in his other films like like um, uh, Capricorn One and and Two Thousand and Ten are always good. So. Yeah, well, because it, it went from the scene with uh, with O'Neill's family, and then it, it it swiftly changed to you you just watch watch this miner walking through the community, and he walks through all the different areas. He walks through uh, the the air dock, it, it, the kitchen, uh, the dry mess, you know, the sleeping quarters. And he just sort of walks through and you sort of get an idea of just how full this place is. You know, there's over 2000 people working there. And it's not, it's not, um, it's not a very large facility. It's pretty, pretty compact. So everyone's kind of on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't mention his name. He doesn't interact with anyone up until the end of the scene where he sort of stops at someone's locker. <clears throat> And uh, you don't actually see what what happens, but you get a sense that, you know, something happened, like there was a handoff. You don't see the handoff, but you know that there's something not quite right about these two gentlemen, uh, which, which I thought was really well done because it introduced, it introduced the bad guys, but it also introduced a lot about the, the mining camp itself. 
That's right. And um, also on the mining camp is, um, is the guy that's running it, which is uh, a guy named Shepard, who basically his, uh, his opinion is that they party hard, but they work hard. Yeah. Um, and he's willing to turn a blind eye to pretty much any kind of, not anti-social behaviour, but any kind of uh, uh, semi-anti-social behaviour, let's say, as long as his numbers of what he's pulling out of the ground are high. Yeah, well, being the general manager of the camp, uh, he, he extends quite a bit of leeway. And uh, I think he and, she- uh, he and O'Neill, the, the new marshal in town, really don't hit it off very well at all, do they? Well, the, 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 there is a certain um, feeling that neither of them really like each other because O'Neill is a by-the-book, do-not-cross-the-line kind of guy and he doesn't really, I guess, interact very well with people who are willing to push those boundaries. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't believe uh, O'Neill works for Shepard. No, he doesn't. He works for the, um, he's, he's a government employee, basically. He's a, he's a, he works for the League of Industrial Nations. That's right. Works for the franchise company, Con Am, Con Amalgamated. So he's really an outsider on that space station. Yeah, he is. Uh, so, um, so I think the next scene involves, um, the death of another worker. Yeah, that was the, um, that was the one I was I was leading to, which was the brothel, I believe, where they uh, no come on, it is the brothel. <laughs> it's not the brothel. <laughs> We've been talking about Pornhub for so long. I'm like, you know. <laughs> oh no! The, the, you remember that fantastic scene uh, and this uh, and this is oh the airlock I, worker, yes, yeah, and uh, this is why I really like this movie. That scene with the airlock and all the guys putting on their suits, it, it just had a just this massive element of believability to it. And then, yeah, out of nowhere, this, this guy with this really euphoric smile on his face, as you say, just walks straight up to the he, airlock. He opens the airlock and walks in and, and shuts it. And, and everyone's like looking at him as if to say, what are you doing? Well, as the door shuts. On? And they're, and they're running and trying to open the door, but it won't open, and then it goes down. And Oh, then he, then he looks at them, and then he walks into the elevator. So the airlock, there's an airlock and an elevator. And so there's two the elevator, yeah. And then he, he literally walks into the elevator, closes the secondary door, and with this euphoric smile continuing, he just disappears out of view. And you know... You know well... It's well, he's heading down. He's heading down to the um, the mining the mining level, basically, to which is where that elevator goes to because they're all miners and they're all suiting up to go to work. Um, so, um, I think when he gets to the, the the bottom, the doors open and there's just like a mass of blood yeah, everywhere. There's a ruptured body there, and mm. uh, you don't actually see it. There's nothing graphic about it. Well, apart from seeing a dead corpse, and I got to tell you, people, that's pretty graphic. But you don't actually see him die. But you can just imagine being a worker in a suit, just finished a 12-hour shift. You're standing there ready to... The last, the last thing you want to see is... Your first drink. last thing you want to see is ketchup all over the lift and then have to ride it back up. A bit of raspberry jam. 
so uh, so so really within the first 10 minutes you've already had two deaths and you know pretty horrible stuff so um uh so yeah i think uh the the next scene um o'neill gets home and um and, and the, finds and out she's left she's gone yeah, she's taken she's taken her son, and she's put a um a pre recorded message on the um on the monitor as well, hasn't she? That's uh, basically this saying this is the only way that I can uh, that I would be able to get away is is by doing a the, runner, de- the yeah, deception runner. and doing a runner. Um, but I'll be waiting at the space station for you. I'm leaving on well, she doesn't actually say at that point so that she's leaving on a flight, but. At, later on, she she gets another call saying, "I've got tickets, three tickets to Earth." Um, yeah, she's and obviously dead. he's still going to do his job. I, I, I got a sense that you know they they're actually a pretty close family. Uh, yeah, I just think she's at the end of her um, at the end of her rope as far as um, living in in space is concerned. Yeah, um, and certainly I think she makes reference to in that in that first video after he returns. Um, that their son hasn't even seen, hasn't even set foot on earth before. Mm. So they've obviously been in space a very long time. Mm. Well, he looked, he looked what? 11 ish. Yeah. He was, he was like, they've obviously been working away for quite some time. mm, Yeah. And, uh, and he's been jumping from station to station to station without, um, without returning to earth. So, I guess you could probably see how living in that kind of environment, which is not very homely, yeah, um, would drive someone to to go to those lengths to to get to get back to Earth or to get and somewhere they, different. And in, in 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 the concept of this story, just adds to that that flavour and that believability. Um, I think the next scene we open up to a, a daily officer briefing. That's right. Um, where um you know there's just regular chit chat about different cases and uh, and uh, I, I one of them made me laugh apparently some um some missing nuclear detonators were were found and no questions were asked and and i think um i think one of one of the other major characters um o'neill's sergeant yeah um pressing pressing his officer hey dude i need to know where they were where were they Nuclear detonators missing, and, uh, um, but he's not. They they they're not going to give him uh, that information. So yeah, and I, I think then um, then obviously the um, the the case of um, the second worker dying gets brought up, and that sort of tweaks. I think that tweaks O'Neill's attention as to is the you know so within something going on. Yeah, within a span of hours, there's mm. second case. That's Uh-oh. right, and 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 I'd like that. Well, we we eventually go down and see the um, the the doctor who's who's basic who's not really a um, uh, doesn't do autopsies or anything like that. She's just basically the the station GP, yeah. and she's very cantankerous. Oh, she gets all the best lines in this whole movie. Don't don't you think? Uh, yes, except for except for one, which I really really liked, but that comes kind of comes kind of later on, um, 
uh, in the film towards okay. the end of the film. Okay. Uh, from uh, from O'Neill. Uh, well, you do get a sense that she's. Oh, she's, she's bitter. She's, she's and she's been working. She's been in the company for a long time. She's been, She's pretty over it. She's pretty uh, tired. Tired mm. might be another good way to uh, to work. And yeah, you, I think you quickly find out that no autopsies are done on these bodies as they no. as they sort of come through and they all get sent via shuttle. Uh, and she makes the point that that um, when they get sent via shuttle, the, the corpses are disposed of in space. They're, yeah, they, they're basically... they, they cast them out, don't they? So that they, they, they basically bury them at sea. Um, yeah. So that there's, yeah. there's, there's no, nev- no evidence of any um, uh, illicit activity or anything that's going to cause... Um, and an, an early an early demise to any of these people. Yeah, pretty handy. Pretty handy. Oh, absolutely. Really. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I loved uh, Doctor Lazarus. She was fantastic. fantastic. Oh, it's just, it's just um, she's just one of those really cantankerous characters. You know, the old the old frontier doctor, who um, you know is just seen everything, but knows that there's the shit going down and is just kind of trying to turn a blind eye to it, but also giving a, a wee nudge that this is happening. You know, you're giving too much, a, you know, yeah. you're not going to get a good bedside manner from that doctor. No. And, you're uh, not gonna have a lot of sympathy. No, I think it's reminded me of, um, uh, watch this Western, the, uh, an old Western a while back. And, um, the, 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 bounty hunter comes into town and he's you know the town's run by criminals and they they say these mates says go to the dentist to you know he'll he'll give you the the information so he goes to the dentist and the dentist gets him in the chair and he sticks the pliers in his mouth and he says no you're not going to take my tooth out are you and he says well they're watching we've got to make it real (laughs) (laughs) holy so he's sticking there with the pliers down his mouth and he's just saying, I'm going to ask you some questions. So just nod or shake your head. <laughs> and that's how he gets the information from the, uh, the dentist for having his teeth yanked out. Oh, oh, no. Because you know, the, the bad guys are what the, the bad guys are watching the, watching everybody and watching all the new people who are in town. And um, you know, we've got to make it realistic so that they yeah. don't think that it, you know, that, they don't get onto anything. And that's kind of that same sort of vibe that you get from Dr. Lazarus. She's kind of, yeah, really over the whole situation that's mm. happening and over life under the company. And uh, she knows that kind of knows that there's something going on, but uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't give away too much information. She writes it all off. That's right. And uh, you know, every wall has ears. Hmm. Um, well, the, I know that the uh, the plot then thickens because we're introduced to uh, Sagan, which is uh, which is another worker who uh, who gets dealt some drugs, and he actually um, he actually then injects those drugs. Uh, there's a red liquid um, that he's been given, and he actually jumps into his sleeping quarters. Mm. Fantastic scene because you see all those sleeping quarters, and they're all they're really on top of each other. There, there's no privacy and, and it sort of gives you a sense that 
that um, space is such a premium. Absolutely. Inside. And Sagan, Sagan played by um, Stephen Burkoff, who um, was in Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, he's been in. He's, 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 the, he's the criminal. Uh, the criminal. Yeah, the quintessential, you know, Russian bad guy. Yeah, he, he, he does look slightly nuts in this, um, in this particular scene as well. Um, obviously, the drugs are affecting him. And uh, he's well, got a, he's wielding a knife. He's got a screaming woman in his in his room. And uh, uh, the the sergeant calls O'Neill, who uh, who comes running with his uh, with his shotgun to his to sort trip. it out. It's all all once again all very western, and I'm pushing on the western thing, but that's you know it's the sort of film it is. Well. Yeah, I, actually, I really like the fact that they use shotguns in this movie because, you know, it's a low-gauge weapon. It's not going to pierce any outer holes or anything like that. I, and it, it just, again, added to the whole believability. There's no high-caliber pistols. There's no laser weapons or anything like that. It's just no, this it's very old sh shotgun. And similar to the Wild West, they always they seem to carry them quite low. Mm. Did you notice? Yeah, like the hip, hip, almost hip-shooting. Yeah, yeah, and it had that, again the same almost Western flavor to it. And that's uh, yeah, I mean, it's we we say they're whole industrial and ease, and you know, there's no laser guns. And Alien, it was very similar, similar to Alien and Aliens, but very similar to Alien, where they all they've got on the ship is flamethrowers hmm. to use as weapons. Yeah, yeah, harsh words and flamethrowers. That's mm. bad. That's right. Yeah, and and in and in Aliens, the the sequel, they've got uh, they've got bullet firing machines they haven't got laser guns no so, no so and yeah. the harsh words they've still got the harsh words yeah so the, the the technology has moved on but it hasn't not all the technology has moved on yeah yeah but um that that scene that you, you sort of started um speaking about you know where uh, there's that police standoff outside the um the uh, establishment of ill repute Pute. Um, uh, I think they sort of established early on that all mining colonies have um, lots of prostitutes. I, I, I can say, I don't mind saying it. Yeah, they yep. do. Yeah, they have ladies of the night. They're tuss. Entertainers. Entertain dancers. Well, exotic. Exotic entertainers. Exotic dancers. Oh, in fact, did, did I mean just exotic dancers? There's there's a bar scene in there, and there's like couples dancing on the bar well i'm assuming they're dancing on the bar i wasn't 100 percent sure well it could be a like a, a one one person with multiple uh, heads or something because they were dancing pretty closely i was thinking this is not cirque du soleil yeah <laughs> okay uh okay yeah there's no trapeze here maybe, um, maybe a swing or two but um did you notice did you notice the lighting in in the mining colony it was all this white UV light? Yeah, it's really kind of um, oh, what's the stark? Even just, even just watching it sucks all the vitamin D out of your body. Yeah, it's, it's just really uh, it, it would it would mess with your head. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I could live under that kind of uh, illumination for too long. No, no. Uh, and it's only when I watched this movie again that I realised the one scene that actually has 
Well, apart from uh, the leisure club, which you just mentioned, the, the exotic dancers, uh, the only other room that doesn't have that sort of lighting is the prostitute's room, which is, it, it has orange lighting. That's yeah, really oh. bright orange though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which worked with that scene. I, it just, mm. it just added to that whole. I actually thought they were in a tanning room. Was that orange? <laughs> well, because Sagan, he he did that really well, and you know he had that sharp knife, and I think he'd, he'd, he'd given her a cut, and he he and you know with the the color of the lights and the blood and everything, it was a really good scene actually, and mm. he was he was off tap. It was almost um, uh, not ultraviolet, but that cut, you know when like the orange is like so orangey well i guess ultraviolet almost in the blood and the, in the mm. the light it was, it was it was good and so they decided to um find a way in so he sends his sergeant in through a through a service hatchway doesn't he um to get into that uh, into that room yeah 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 they um they do that quite well you know how uh how uh O'Neill goes to the front door and he attempts to communicate with, with Sagan inside this, this lunatic guy. Yeah. I think he actually made the point of asking one of the um, deputies who was already at the scene, is he on anything? So I think there he's already got an inkling that, that there's something happening in there that, that might be drug related. That's causing these, um, these occurrences. Um, and so the the sergeant breaks into the into the um, into the room via the service hatch, the, an air conditioning duct perhaps, um, and and shoots Sagan, killing him. Um, yeah. And I got the feeling when when he actually opens the door afterwards that um, O'Neill wanted him alive. Very much, yeah. And he, you know he was uh, he was not happy. He uh, he wanted that information from him to you know, find out. And he was counting down he quite clearly counting down before he was going to open the door. And he, he warned the guy, you know, I'm, I'm going to open the door in three, two, one. And then bam, sure enough, Sergeant Montone, he, he jumps in and bam, executes. Sagan. Executes him. Yeah. He be well, because we find out that, uh, um, Sergeant Montone has actually, um, He's not um, working for the company as such, but he's being paid to look away. Yeah, his hands are a little bit dirty here. And I think mm. that um, O'Neill challenges him a bit later on and, you know, is to find out how how dirty he is. But, uh, yeah. Well, I think he is, yes, he is dirty, um, but he's not unwilling to assist O'Neill to a point much to yeah. his um, demise later in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know from uh, uh, that after, after Sagan gets killed, uh, O'Neill then visits, I think O'Neill visits Dr. Lazarus, Lazarus to, yeah. um, um, to well, you know, to, to check on the prostitute to make sure that she's all right. And um, she, that's when he then asked the question to her, well, how many cases, or I need you to look into this. How many cases have there been? 
and she comes back and says, you know, there's like close to 30 cases, you know, that, that month where this same thing has occurred. You've had people wig out. But then they also, it, um, prior to um, that period, there was only like two or three cases, I think, from memory. Yeah, yeah I think so. Prior to, prior to this particular person coming on the ship, there was, you know, the cases were very few. Yeah, so some, there's something's occurred, you know, which is, which is, I think, pretty clear to O'Neill. He knows what's going on. He's, I think he's already established that, you know, there's, someone's importing some drugs and he wants to get to the, he wants to get to the bottom of it. So mm. um, um, uh, he, he, da, 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 da. <laughs> so uh, at, I think, at, I think it's at this point that um, after he's confronted uh, Sergeant Montone, they, um, he goes back to his, goes back to see him, doesn't he? At that point, well, I, I know that he gets a sample. He gets a sample uh, of Sagan's blood before the burial at Sagan. Yeah, he sneaks a, 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 and then he goes back to the doctor and he, he challenges her. And she's this grown, you know, she's a grumpy old lady. She's never really done the work before, and she gives him quite a bit of lip. And um, and then she detects the molecule, that special molecule, the DPE molecule. Um, and it, it clearly shows that there's there's um, a high-powered amphetamine that's been given to these to these miners to improve, I, I think, to improve their performance. Yeah, keep them keep them going, basically. Mm, and they can do um, uh, twice the work uh, uh, twice the work in half a shift. So uh, I, I, maybe that's the reason why the the GM uh, Mark Shepard is has such good standing in the company. Yeah, well, he's getting a ridiculous numbers as far as what he's pulling out of the um, out of the mining colony. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I think after seeing the doctor, we we then the, it, it quite the story quite quickly moves. Um, the marshal, uh, I think, we end up in. Uh, the Marshal O'Neill's home residence, and uh, he's he's working on the case, and he, he, clearly in his in his mind he's got this idea is uh, there's there's some drugs being imported, and he's he types into his computer he's doing a search on his computer for the number of uh, criminal uh, workers with a criminal history. Yeah, and uh, and I think he there's he quite a few on there. That, yeah, he filters that down as to which ones were drug related. And and that's when he, we first meet officially the two characters that we were introduced earlier on in the movie, where the where we we saw these two guys have a sort of a brief meeting and we and we find out there was something a bit not very right going on. Well, they're the, they're the ones that are um, are bringing the drug into the um, into the on, into the mine site, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and we do see at some point that. Uh, uh, after discovering these, oh, looking into how many drug-related employees are on it, on the on the site, he actually goes down. Um, uh, is that the point where he finds out there's a shipment coming in? Well, uh, he, he, like he knows he knows who they are, and there's mm. two dudes called Yario and Spotter. Yeah. And what's interesting, he does this search and he finds out who approved these two guys to get employed. 
and it's and and shepherd. Voila, it's as you said, the GM. So this goes it, uh, quite clearly. This goes right to the top. And Shepard's pretty, 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 a pretty cool customer, isn't he? When uh, uh, O'Neill speaks to him, he's just, uh, you know, he's cool and calm, and basically says, "Get off my mind side if well, you it, if you value your life." Yeah, it's like he he's so casual about it. It's like, yeah, get on board or get off. Get off. He doesn't hide. No, he's he's because he knows that you know this is what's this is what the you know the company are quite happy to look the other way while he's getting the results that he's getting. Um, so he almost feels like he is um, untouchable. I think that's a, a great way of putting it. He's untouchable. Like at no point does. Does O'Neill ever say, oh, you're under arrest? No, because he knows that he can't, although he's got the power as a, as a marshal, he really has no power on that station. No, uh, even with, with the amount of evidence that he's got at this point in time during the film, like he knows this stuff's being imported. Uh, he knows how serious it is. Uh, he knows what it's doing. He's got, he's got a, He's got a stack of dead bodies, and yet he still can't do anything about it. No, no. So um, I think uh, it, this is when it, it opens up at the club, and uh, yeah, I think you see uh, you see the dancers on the table. You see Mark Shepard. He's having a drink in the club. You also see on another table there's Yario and Spotter having a bit of a drink, and who walks up and sits down at the table with Mark Shepard? Sergeant Montone. Mm. And uh, I think all the while, um, O'Neill's actually viewing this whole scene, which is quite interesting because he's not in the club. He's viewing via security cameras. And I, I, I think he's I, reading lips as well. Like yeah, you don't, it, it doesn't implicitly um, say that. Um, but he's looking at them talking and you think, well, is he reading their lips? Is he actually understanding what they're saying? Did you did you like how they use the security cameras in uh, in this movie? Yeah, I did. I, I thought. It, you got yeah, no, no, I thought that I, 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 you know, it's it's almost like a um, like a a world of today where there's cameras everywhere, mm. and you can kind of jump around and almost follow someone around a around a road or around a street. Um, yeah, it, it gave the whole story a bit of a, an, an interesting kick along, I felt, because here's this police officer, he's only one guy, he can't be yeah. everywhere at once. But, and yet he's uh, able to be everywhere at once. Yeah, he'll go back to these security monitors and here he is watching, you know, he's got his suspicions, he's got his suspicions about Montone. And there's, uh, there's Montone, Shepard, sitting at a table in the leisure club and then who can comes and sits down next to them, you know, sits down at their table for a brief second or two. It's the, the other two. Yarion spotter and then bam, they're up, they walk away and then, uh, and then that scene ends. And I, I, you really, you'd have to wonder that cements it for, for O'Neill. There's, there's corruption going on here. Yeah. And he, and he's going to do pretty much whatever he can to, wipe that out yeah 
Yeah. So I, I think the next scene is is it's the that racquetball scene mm, where he's um, with with Montone in the in the um, in the racquetball court and they're having that conversation, basically. And Montone's kind of, you know, I can't really do anything because, you know, and O'Neill knows, and he's like, well. I know you're. I know you're. T- you're on the take, basically. Yeah, you know, he's, he, he, he pretty much puts it out there. That, yeah, yeah, that he knows. That he, he knows what the situation is, and you know what is he going to do to you know help him fix this problem? And Montone's Montone. not really. Do you recognise Montone? Do you, yeah, it's, do you... um, it's James B. Sicking, who was in uh, Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues, who yeah. played uh, you know this iconic. Uh, you know, New York police officer. Oh man, who's, who's a great actor? He's a great actor, and he's always in sort of these charactery little charactery roles. He's not like a leading actor, but he no. but he certainly no. plays that 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 part well. But he said, "Look, even though he's dirty, he does come across quite honest because when he's confronted." Oh yeah, he's not. He's not. Um, he's not. Uh, um, uh, going to cover it up. Mm. Uh, he's, he feels like, you know, yeah, this is what I had to do to survive. Yeah, this is and my part to play. I'm dirty. Only a little bit dirty. I'm only a little bit dirty. And, and as I said earlier, he's, you know, he's willing to do, do something to kind of help O'Neill out, but he won't help him out the whole way. Yeah, yeah. And I, that, I, and that I, leads I to... I like this scene. And I, I think... Uh, I think O'Neill even even challenges him and says, "Look, you you keep taking your dirty money. Just don't st- don't get in my way." Yeah, that's that's right. And so, um, so he doesn't really do anything to stop O'Neill, but also he's not really doing anything to um, ease the situation. And that does end up in in an unfortunate ending for him at, uh, during the film. Um, <laughs> well, <okay. laughs> you could say that. Yeah. Well, he's not going to collect any superannuation. Put it that way. Absolutely not. And um, was that his tongue, or was it, was it a racquetball? I'm not 100 percent sure. Actually, that's an interesting point. I I hadn't connected that, but you know we're not there yet because we still have a really interesting um, scene where. Uh, I think the next one opens up to the shipping area, and this is where O'Neill wants to grab some evidence against. Yeah, because he gets a, he gets word that there's like a possibly a shipment coming in, so he goes down to um, to check it out, um, and that's uh, he he goes to the yeah, the shipping container that, uh, um, and he's looking around, and that's when he's attacked. Um, well, I, he uh, he still captures. I think there's a scene where um, he captures uh, Spotter. That, yeah. that, that original dude that was walking around. And yeah, then, he, he tries to strangle him in the shipping container. Uh, no, no, that was... was that, that the was other? Daria, a bit later yeah. on. That was about one or two scenes over. Yeah. So um, I, I think the next scene is, is, is where O'Neill's actually trying to gather as much evidence as possible. Uh, against these two, and he's he's sitting on those cameras. You know, he's really hot footing it, sitting on these cameras, and uh, I think you see um, Yario. Yario's driving a forklift. He's obviously just received a shipment. 
O'Neill's on the cameras, and then you see Spotter walking in, and then um, Yario and Spotter disappear off camera. Bam! There's a handover, and then uh, and then O'Neill's on it. He he quickly grabs his shotgun and starts following and, him, doesn't he? And starts following Spotter and uh, and tracks him down. Remember that scene in the kitchen? Yeah, he goes through the kitchen with the with the shotgun. Yep, and they get into a they get into a punch up. That's right. Yeah, uh, which is I. There's something. Did you did you like the fact that that a lot of the confrontation in this movie they're not, you know, it's not all martial arts. They're not all you know, uh, you know a bit of you no, know. It's, it's not John Von. It's not John Von Claude Van Damme. Oh, it's, it's real. You know, <laughs> it's bruising. You know, uh, whatever gets the job done. It's kind of, kind of, um, miners, miners, uh, miners bar fights sort of situations. Yeah, there's nothing professional about it. Absolutely not. And, uh, which I quite, I quite enjoyed. I, I quite enjoyed that. I think we're just used to the, uh, these days in cinema that everyone just knows how to fight. They're all really super awesome at it. And one guy can take out 30 guys in, in a row. And, and no, this is that, that confrontation between those two is just a straight up punch up. Yeah. It's not, it's not uh, overly choreographed. Yeah. Like, like fight scenes are these days where they do like three weeks of pretending to hit each other until they get it perfect. And then, it's it's almost it's almost seamless the fight scenes, whereas this is more just out and out brutal. Oh, it's thirty seconds of you know full on grunting, and then they they're 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 both a heaving mess on you know the ground like oh man are we done yet? And uh, which which uh, gives oh, I don't know uh, to me it just added to that believability and the fact that it it's in the kitchen as well and it's um it's a, it's a cool scene I liked it. So we move on from there. Um, yeah, yeah, we um, we uh, we move on to there because uh, then um, they end up in the holding cells. That's right. Where, they, where um, Spotter gets put into a zero graph holding cell, and he's that's right. And he's um, yeah, he's he's in some sort of suit hanging from the the holding cell, and. Uh, O'Neill, O'Neill leaves him locked in there by himself in the dark, doesn't he? Because he won't actually yeah. talk. Yeah, to... you know, he, he tries to get him to confess. He does the whole good cop, bad cop thing. And, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. It, it, it clearly doesn't work. So I don't think Spotted talks in that scene. No, no. And then he leaves him in the dark to kind of uh, mull over his uh, misdemeanours. And and perhaps maybe turn over turn over a new leaf and 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 tell him something, uh, yeah. but he's not going to, um, because O'Neill returns and he's uh, uh, basically uh, well he has been uh, zero grabbed <laughs> <laughs> into oblivion. Well, uh, it it it's such a it's such a corrupt area because he because O'Neill confronts Shepard again. He has those one of those marvelous scenes where he confronts Shepard and says, "I think Shepard, Shepard's playing golf." Or yeah, he's putt putt playing putt putt. Yeah, putt putt. putt. Uh, you know, and, and 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 you just get this sense that this is he's really pushing shit up a hill here. Oh, well, he's got no chance of actually um, getting any sort of peaceful resolution 
where this is concerned. You just you just know by the way that, that bodies are bodies are going down and the way that Shepherd is behaving towards him that this is only going to end one way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he just needs to know his place, but yeah, but clearly he's too um, he's too. I don't know. Stupid. I stubborn. think. Uh, I, th- I think stubborn is probably uh, stubborn, uh, single-minded, stubborn, stupid. Um, <laughs> you can put in, in insert uh, insert here what you think of him, basically. Well, yeah, Shepard even says that like several times. He goes, "I don't know whether you're you 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 you're dumb or you're you know you or you just have a death wish." Mm, because he Shepard thinks that you know this is all I've got to do is make one call and this is all over for you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when, um, so O'Neill leaves that scene, you know, he, again, he's, he's literally got, he's got Shepard saying out loud, this is happening and still can't make an arrest, goes back to the prison cells and, uh, and his, and his mate's been, uh, vacuumed. Well, vacuumed. <laughs> reverse <laughs> vacuumed. And uh, so his head's obviously exploded because there's a bit of um, strawberry jam all over the um, the inside. Bit of claret on the window. Grab holding cell. And then uh, uh, this is yeah. Then it moves straight into uh, uh, straight into um, Montone Sergeant Montone's residence. Only all goes to visit him. And that's Uh, where that's where he opens the door and Montone falls out, attached to some sort of. Uh, not piano wire, but some sort of cord around his neck. And as I said, a, a, a possibly a racquetball, possibly his tongue. Not 100% sure, but uh, he's dead. Did he kill himself? I don't think he did. <laughs> I, I thought it was his tongue, but when you said racquetball, man, I think you're right. I think it was a racquetball. I think someone murdered him. Yeah. And, well, you wouldn't uh, put a racquetball in your mouth because it's no, a joke he hasn't. Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so so is a racket ball a uh, racket cord yeah, <laughs> around, yeah around your neck yeah 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 and he's actually hooked up to a coat hook behind him because he he only falls out to the to the point of uh you know the when an ironing board opens up on you by accident you catch it <laughs> <laughs> so at that point we we oh, realize and then we, we find uh, we find out at that point that um, O'Neill checks Sergeant Montone's computer and there's a coded message. And he decodes the message and the coded message says, check, there's a shipment in one of the shipping containers and I think he might even list which shipping container. That's right. And then he goes to that shipping container. And that's, and that's where the, uh, the other, the other uh, meal, the other drug meal um, attacks him inside the container. Yeah, and yeah. he um, he fights him off, and then finds the drugs stashed in. Uh, I'm not actually sure what that is hanging from the, oh, no, from the I container. The beef carcass. It's, it's it's beef, isn't it? And yeah. it's, there's four or five large straps of this liquid um, narcotic that he's now got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, did you notice what was stamped? On the meat carcass? I didn't, but you're going to tell me. I'm going to tell you because it, it only, it was it's such a, a, a mind-blowing thing. And it wasn't Australian beef, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it 
may, uh, may contain <laughs> may contain mad cow disease. Well, it just goes to show that this whole criminal conspiracy was hiding in plain sight. Mm. None of the other beef is labelled except for this one, which has in big writing across it, general manager. Ah, so, so it's it's not they're not they're not hiding it then, really. No. No, no one was hiding it. Everyone knew that the general manager was bringing drugs. So there you go. So what does O'Neill do with the drugs in? Uh, he then... I think he disposes oh, of them, doesn't he? Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> he goes to see... He goes to see... Shepard. And says, well, look, um, I've, I've just thrown Yarra Yarra in the lockup and flushed the toilet, uh, flushed the drugs down the toilet. And then he said, oh, it could be the other way around. And, uh, and all the while, there's that really delicious scene where, where uh, Peter Boyle's character, Mark Shepard, is playing golf. And he, he just continues to play golf during the whole, the whole scene. Yeah, he doesn't seem phased by the fact that he's located the drugs. I, I, I presume he's probably furious. And, um, and he's probably worried that his... Um, his employers or his uh, bosses who are supplying him with that drug are going to want their, uh, for want well, of a better word, pound of beef. Yeah, yeah. Apparently the drugs are worth a fortune. So, and so now they've been disposed of. Uh, Shepard is furious, although he's not sort of letting his, letting O'Neill know. But he's he's clearly furious, and uh, he at this point he contacts the space station, which is I think uh, a couple of weeks away. Oh, no, yeah, it's, uh, about it's a week away. I think yeah, the space station, uh, the main space station that serves Conam Twenty Seven is about a week away. A week away, yeah. So he he contacts his his um, handler as far as uh, the drugs are concerned, um, and basically asks them to send. Uh, somebody out to deal with the problem um at which point they they basically tell him that you know he he either deals with it with these with whoever they're sending out (laughs) or they'll deal with him yeah yeah this yeah it's uh it's a pretty (laughs) heavy-handed threat uh now for some reason i i i get the sense that he'd ask for three guys did you get that um, I wasn't really sure. I just, I, I, I knew he was asking for, you know, to send somebody out to help him. Um, and I'm, he may have said, can you send three? We need three guys. And they said, we'll send two. Yeah. Because they sent two, two, um, two hitmen out on the, on the next shuttle basically. And, yeah. um, which is, uh, where O'Neill uses that video, uh, video surveillance to perfection once again. Um, when they arrive at the space station. Oh, well, actually, um, there's, a, there's this really interesting scene that I thought was just fantastic. And you, you tell me what you think. Uh, O'Neill knows that he's, he's poked the hornet's nest by, by destroying the drugs. And he's given Shepard no alternative. Then he hacks the general manager's comms unit you know that amazing scene where he hacked some some fiber optic, some sort of glowing fiber optic cable, you know, in this comms yeah. unit, 
And it just looked, you know, for 1981. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Well, which which was amazing. I, that one scene just added a certain amount of credibility to the whole sort of detective space sci-fi element. I, I really like that, that little scene. Um, and that's when he then goes back to a commune. And I think, I think that's when he actually hears with his own ears that, that uh, Mark Shepard's character has actually got a couple of hitmen. Hit mm. And he goes... That are going to arrive in about... I think it's going to arrive in about 60 hours. Yeah. And he, go, he actually speaks to his new sergeant um, uh, who has taken over from... Uh, from from the previous deceased one um and he he's basically saying you know you need to you know he he's asking him for help um yeah. and he's and he's just putting his hands up and saying you know i've got a family and no <laughs> yeah all the, all the, for all intents and purposes it's no um you no, know it'd be pretty confronting to know that you've got no you've got one to turn to yeah, yeah and it's whole mining community and he learns pretty early on, doesn't he, that uh, there's just no one. Mm, not even his own. Not even his own um, department. His own, you know, the police department on that site are actually going to help him because they're all on the take. Yeah. And they're yeah. all, you know, they all have families and they all value their lives and they know what will happen if they step in front of the uh, moving train. Yeah, they're going to exactly. get hit. Yeah, who's more important in this food chain, the general manager or uh, the you know the lowly police officer or um, or even any of the mine workers? Definitely, definitely not the marshal. When O'Neill walks around the mining station, whenever he enters into a new scene, everyone basically stops talking and just watches him. So he knows pretty early on that that he he's going to get no assistance at all. Uh, even sixty hours out from these guys arriving that's right so there's that um there's that really great scene where he you know has a drink at, at the bar and there's no one talking and then he goes to play some racquetball uh do you know the scene i'm talking about where he's playing racquetball on his own because there's no one going to play with him because he's no. a dead man walking yeah in walks the doctor yeah she'll she plays racquetball with him because she's basically the only one that will um, stand with him. Well, not voluntarily. No, not voluntarily, but there, she there's, will. There's that. I actually quite like the scene where she came into the racquetball. Uh, the racquetball. Um, uh, what would you call it? It's a court. Court. That's it. And um, there's that scene where you know he's she's sitting off to the left and he's sitting off to the right. And, and, you know, and the camera's as far away as it possibly could be in a racquetball court. And, uh, and you know, and they're, they're sort of having this, I don't know, this sort of quintessential discussion where she's sort of, she's the tired old veteran. And, and she's challenging him to say, why, why are you actually doing this? Um, yeah. yeah. Because she, she doesn't really see the point in it. No, no. She's Surely, like, if, 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 I think she's says to him, if you're the person I think you are, what the hell are you still doing here? Get get the hell out of Dodge, basically. You've got a wife and a child. Get to them. Don't, yeah. don't hang around. 
Yeah, he asks her directly for help, and she I think her quote was, if you're looking for sterling character, then you're in the wrong place. Mm. You know, she's not going to help. Initially, she says she's not going to help. No, no, she does. I mean, she's kind of not forced into it, but she does She does help him out um, as the as the film progresses with, with the uh, hitmen arriving. Yeah. Um, but she's not a willing participant, really, within that. No, no. It, like, you see, it, I, see, I was a bit unsure as to whether he was actually a good guy or a bad guy. Because... Who, O'Neill? Well, like, like in that scene, uh, like, he actually says, uh, you know, like, if I can quote the movie here, that he, he says there's a whole machine that works because everybody does what they're supposed to do and 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 then he goes in to say oh i found i found out i was supposed to be something i didn't like uh, and that's my rotten little part of this whole machine yeah so it, i'm assuming he said that because he thinks he's a bad guy yeah i think he's just he's, he's not such a bad guy i think his principles are uh you know he has a he has a certain level of his principles, and he's not willing to back down from that situation that he's in. Yeah, I think he's come finally, hell or high water. Yeah, he's finally broken. He's drawn drawn a line in the sand. And yeah, the, the, this is the whole western element to the to the movie. Yeah. Um, and I it, that that's that's pretty cool in my books. So the it, so he uses the um, the surveillance system to uh, monitor who's coming who's coming in um to the space station um and he's he's watching everybody exit the shuttle um at that point to um to try and pick out pick out who's uh who he might think is going to be that be the hitman that's coming for him um and that's when he spots the two men who hang back and then head off down a different corridor um, and it was also that line, which which brings me to that line, that other line that I really enjoyed, where he's in the bar, and someone says to him, "You're supposed to be protecting me, what, protecting us. What about your men?" And he turns to him and he goes, "My men are shit." <laughs> he's uh, he's definitely a character of few words, and then walks off. And walks off. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, my man. He asked them for help and everyone just basically says no. Dead silence except for that one worker that yells out. Mm. And uh, oh man, it'd be a pretty lonely experience. So he then has to um, arm up and take on the two hitmen that are uh, that are hunting him out. Um, and he dispatches one quite easily. Um, and the second one, he then has to um, head out into space, which was the problem I had because he the external the external shots weren't really i mean they're 1980s so you know yeah yeah yeah. well he um he i i I like how they're using again these combat shotguns because they don't want to pierce they don't want to do too much damage they just want to kill kill o'neill and and not do too much to the station so you know they they combat shotguns and you know they're really short short range weapon but they've got that it's almost like an infrared scope mounted on top so you can tell that these you know, are reasonably professional hitmen yeah but they weren't that professional 
No, he um he uh, blows one out of an airlock uh, via being out in space, doesn't he? Um, using having the doctor with him, helping him, she she basically lead leads one of the hitmen down a corridor and then shuts him inside the uh, yeah, traps, him, traps him inside the 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 gantry between two sections of the uh, of the of the mining site. Uh, and O'Neill, who's on on the outside of the space on spacewalking, blows the airlock on the gantry and sends him out into space. Yes, um, uh, pretty gruesome stuff. But hey, you know, well, that's that's one down. He gets his comeuppance, um, and then he and then he heads off to the um, the other the other hitman is in um, in the uh, greenhouse, the greenhouse, uh, the food supply. Um, and O'Neill drops something down the drops something down the outside of the greenhouse, which he then shoots at, fractures the greenhouse, and gets sucked out into space. Also, yeah, depressurizes it, and then uh, and then the other guy dies, which is you know, so he, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so he, I, the special effects. You're right. The special effects do let do. It's in some scenes do age, let, they uh, do age the film. Mm. A little bit, a little bit. The internals, not so much. Like the internal, the internal um, filming, where it's inside the space station. But the external, the external spacewalking stuff, kind of does age the film a little bit. I thought, but you know, what are you going to get for an eighty, a nineteen eighty one movie? Nineteen eighty one movie, exactly. So, um, so O'Neill then heads into um, to see Shepard again. And they have some sort of interaction where Shepard's basically kind of like, eh. you know, so what, almost like a so what kind of thing. And he uh, turns around, floor, punches him, knocks him, knocks him out. And that's. There was, there was the one scene where, um, he, because he took out, he took out both hitmen. Yeah. But then it turns out there's a third hitman. Yes, the third. Oh, that's right. The third hitman, who turns out to be the sergeant, the sergeant who replaced the previous sergeant um, of sergeant the political Ballard. Sergeant, sergeant Ballard. Ballard. Yeah, who we think is a good guy, who's clearly not. No, he's obviously on the take. He's he's uh, he's Shepard's new man on the ground, and he's willing to go further than the previous man on the ground. Yeah. So then we get some some more of that lovely footage that you really enjoy. Ex- external external space walking punch up. Yeah, um, O'Neill's carrying an injury at this point, quite clearly carrying an injury because you can see even even while he's got a uniform on, uh, a spacesuit, he's he's limping. He's he's obviously in distress. Yeah, he's being hunted by Ballard outside. Uh, Ballard has a combat shotgun, so. Uh, I, I think in that scene, O'Neill jumps down. Yeah, down the gantry and like lands on him. Lands on him, and as they have, they really tussle, and yeah, they're both. It, it it's quite suspenseful because they're both attempting to rip out each other's oxygen. Pillar. Yeah, that's right. And and although although you know they've probably slowed the footage down to kind of give it that walking in space feel, and um, they're probably hanging from the odd uh, cable that you can't really see. Um, 
it was it, the fight was pretty good. The fight was pretty realistic, and yeah, a lot uh, of heavy breathing going on. That's right. And O'Neill manages to uh, remove the oxygen tube from uh, from Ballard's uh, helmet, mm. uh, and he also, and yeah, you know, you shouldn't be able to physically explode in space, but he blows up and pops inside his helmet. Yeah, no, no witty one-liners from the. Extra. No, no, it's not. It's not that kind no, of film. You've been demoted, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed. You know, Arnie would have had a quip. Um, James Bond would have had a quip, but O'Neill. I've know. popped your bubble. Yes, you are been demoted. <laughs> what a yeah. Which then brings us to that scene where O'Neill has that conversation with Shepard, who Shepard then gets knocked Drops out. Him. And O'Neill then um, sends a message to his wife, basically saying, I'm on my way to the space station, keep the ticket free, because I'm uh, going to spend a year in deep hibernation with you on our way back to Earth. And that's yeah. pretty much where yeah. the film ends. It, 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 he pops. He popped Shepard in the face with his fist, uh, and it uh, and literally the movie says Ends. the end. So you don't actually That's find it. out. Yeah. You just have to assume that maybe um, Shepard's uh, men or Shepard's man, the the people who work for who Shepard is working for, are probably going to take care of him. He he still doesn't even get arrested. No, he's criminal. He's got video evidence. Of Shepard organizing Hitman. He 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 just avoids he just avoids the the Hitman and leaves town. Uh, who knows? But you know we we didn't mention the elephant in the room, which was it's Peter Boyle, uh, funniest man alive. Funniest man alive. Johnny Dangerously uh, was was. In the television series, Everybody Loves Raymond. I know. He's the cantankerous old father in Everybody Loves Raymond. But he's also, he's also in um, Johnny Dangerously. Yeah, really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I know that he got an Emmy for his performance in The X-Files. Was he in The X-Files? Yeah. He was on a, one of the few scenes I actually remember, and he got an Emmy for it. Oh, excellent. Yeah. He's a good, he's a very, he's a good funny actor and he's playing, yeah. and he's playing the, um, the straight man, the company man very the, well, which yeah. funnily enough reminds me of um, Carter Burke and Aliens. Very much, very much. A comedian, oh. a comedian, comedic actor who plays that serious role. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, you can you can almost see Giovanni Rabisi channeling uh, Mark Shepard uh, <laughs> as the GM on uh, chasing Pandora. out the guys, yeah, uh, 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 hunting his his pound of uh, unobtainium. Yeah. So what what uh, what do you think? What what are your thoughts about this movie? I loved it. I loved it. In 1981. You know, it had faults, but it was just a great story. You know, who made Westerns back then? Well, I mean, apart from real Westerns. Um, oh, but Space the, Westerns. Space Westerns. Well, there was, there was actually a few around that sort of time. Uh, the, the, the classic being Star Wars. Mm. Um, Battle Beyond the Stars. 
which was basically the Magnificent Seven in space. Um, All right. Apart from a hundred movies, who made good <laughs> westerns? Right? Not very many people. Point. Not very many people. Yeah, I, look, I loved it. It was it was great in the day. You know, it was on the back of of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and it was on the back of Aliens, and you could see how this had a real influence from those movies. And and it was really good. It just it just went to show that Aliens are pretty scary, but they don't have to be the scariest thing in outer space. No, no, and and, and a good suspenseful story in outer space can sometimes trump something bursting out of somebody's chest and scaring the pants out of you. Mm, mm. Um, so what do you what out of 10 what do you want to give it Ooh, uh, I'm going to give it a 9 oh my god that's high I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, a, a 9 oh, dirty space officers how's that what are you going to give it well, look, I, I judge on the curve. You're going to judge it for its. its I am. I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to. Uh, like. I'm going to mark it down for for aging a little bit, which is probably <laughs> cruel. But you know, that's dude just with the rock and the beard, there, man. That's just the the kind of guy I am. You know, I've got the I've got the grey beard, and I'm and I'm not ashamed to use it. Um, as far as the film is concerned, I I love it. I. I say I love a western. I love a sci-fi film. It's it's almost the perfect meld of that, as far as life on the space on the mining colony is concerned, and the story within that within the confines of that of that site. The um, it's you know the the battle between good or the righteous and mm. and those that are willing to bend the laws to get um, things done it's it's a really it's a really good good versus evil story it's a really it's a really good good versus evil story and i quite i quite i quite like that um the special effects let it down and that's you know that's something for its age um and there's nothing you can do about that as far as that's concerned um peter himes has made a great movie uh made a good movie um, his previous one before this was Capricorn One, which is a um, a conspiracy theory film about a Mars landing that doesn't go ahead, um, and he builds the tension beautifully within that. Um, yes. and he does the same with this as well. Um, it's just little things that build the tension. <laughs> it's not you know, there's not any overt explosions. There's not aliens charging down corridors to build tension it's just little tiny things little interactions between people that actually create the tension within the film and and as you said you don't need big explosions and big scary shit to 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 make a good sci-fi movie building that you know it's the the relationships between people whether they're good whether they're bad whether they want to help whether they want help but can't, you know, it, it, it's all those little interactions and that kind of makes the movie for me. Um, mm. So I'm going to probably mark it. I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it an eight. Right. Uh, I probably, if the special effects had been fantastic, if I probably would have given it a, given it a nine, but I'm going to give it an eight. Um, it is a 
really good story and something that you should probably go out and see if you get a chance. Um, I found it on eBay. (laughs) 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 Not advertising eBay at all, but um, if you get a chance to see it, it is a really good film and you should probably check out um, other Peter Hyams movies as well, uh, 2010s. the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, Running Scared, great movie. It's quite good. Running Scared's a great movie. Uh, the Presidio with Sean Connery and Mark Harmon is quite a good movie. Um, and he's also, I think he made Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, as well. And, we the Star Ch- and the Star Chamber with Michael Douglas, which is a... Which is an excellent Another movie. political kind of... Another thriller. So yeah. he makes those... Those interpersonal thriller, those interpersonal stories where they're thriller, you know, the thrillers that, where it's the little things that make um, the bigger picture rather than just big explosions. Yeah, I get a sense that in our future we'll be revisiting Peter Himes. Oh, he's. I think he's a very good director, and he's um, probably not as highly rated as he probably should be. Yeah. So, go out and see it. Excellent. All right. Well, so that's uh, that's it from uh, that's it from me. Yeah, that's it from me. So we'll see you again. Thanks for joining us on that ship. Movie's quite good. Um, and uh, catch us uh, next time. Thanks for now. Bye. You've been listening to that ship. Movie's quite good. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If there's a movie out there you want me to watch and review instead of mowing the bloody lawn, please, dear God, send me an email. No, I really do it. Now, just just make one up.